This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Pam's been in the church, how long now, Pam, about, roughly? Can't remember. <laughs> no. Well, it doesn't matter anyway, but you, you, you've sort of been with the church, I would guess, about a year or so? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So I thought it quite interesting, really, to, to hear somebody's testimony that was relatively new to the church. And uh, we, we just give you a big warm welcome, and don't be nervous, and just enjoy your, your time here, and... Uh, I'll ask you a few questions after. Yeah, okay. Um, I hope you don't mind if I read it. But <laughs> I first became a Christian when I was 12 years old. A wonderful Christian lady felt led by God to hold a Bible class in her, in her home every week for young girls. There were about five of us, and she told us all about Jesus and how he died on the cross for us so we could be forgiven and lead a full and rich life with him. She encouraged us to read and learn the Bible and nurtured us. She was my spiritual mum. She then introduced us to Vazan Elim Church because she thought we ought to meet and mix with other young people. I was later baptised there and saw my mother and father come to the Lord uh, through the ministry there. Um, Nigel will probably remember that because he was a youth leader there. My mother was baptised there too. Um, I got married in 1976 at that same church and my two sons were dedicated there. Then it was all downhill from there. I gradually slipped away from the Lord after that. I'm sure he never left me, but he wasn't number one in my life anymore. Life took over. Then two years ago, my husband of 38 years died. I felt abandoned, left alone to cope with life and the milk rounds. But a miracle happened. I was well aware that people and family in this church were praying for me. I knew this without being told, because through it all, and still now, I feel such wonderful peace and assurance that passes all human understanding. I know God has a plan for my life, and I'm just trusting him for the future. And I want to thank everybody in this church for making me so welcome and part of your family. And I'd like to just finish with, with this from Ephesians 3, verses 16 to 19, because this is what God has done for me. Ephesians 3, verses 16 to 19. According to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so God may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.
Okay, um, that's really good actually. I really enjoyed that. And I know you're very nervous, but you did really brilliantly. And, and we just love the fact that you have taken the courage to come up here and share. So just applaud you for that, really. A um, couple, of, couple of questions, really. Um, you spoke about um, Vasel Church in, in the early days. Um, Nigel was sort of around at, at Vasel then as well. Right. Youth leader. <laughs> he, 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 he's aged well then, doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> well done, Nigel. We've shown your true age now. <laughs> yeah. What um, in those days? Uh, what sort of was that? Seventies, somewhere around there, I guess. Yeah, I got married in seventies. Yeah, seventies. Yeah, so yeah, early seventies. Early seventies. Yeah. 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 What do you think are the fundamental differences between maybe the church you see now and the church from then? Well, all the hymns and, and have changed because we did everything from the Redemption Hymnal then. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and uh, I had a new learning curve when I started coming here because <laughs> I didn't know any of the songs and yeah. choruses. But, no, and the worship is... Oh, it's great to have a worship team. Yeah. We didn't have a worship team as such then. Right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And can I ask you, um, at what point did you really feel the Holy Spirit touch you? Um, I don't know really I just felt I was aware of his presence um, and I just I just can't explain it it's just I was so, so full and overflowing with peace and yeah. you know through my grief and it's yeah, yeah it's great sometimes we're not even aware but the no. Holy Spirit is kind of and I couldn't pray for myself just... but I knew lots of other people were praying for me yeah yeah that's a great feeling isn't it mm. knowing I think, uh, you know, obviously knowing a little bit about what you've been through, um, you know, that's not easy at all. And knowing that you've got the family behind you. And I know Keith and Joan were, were really strong, prayerful people um, at that time. And, um, you know, it's a lot of love for you coming, yeah. coming from that direction. So um, that's really lovely. And I'm sure it's, you know, stood you in good stead. Um, one final question then. You've, you've come up to the Delancey and you've sort of seen what Delancey's got to offer. Um, did you feel a, a moment when you felt you'd come home? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. It was fantastic to have fellowship with other, with other Christians. Yeah. It was fantastic, yeah. And I, I knew a lot of people from the past, yeah. even though they were older. <laughs> yeah. You're looking at Nigel again, are you? <laughs> Now, that's lo lovely to hear. Um, I mean, I think one of the most important things uh, is obviously to find your spiritual home mm. and find, find somewhere you're comfortable with people. And, yeah, uh, oh, people here are lovely. Yeah, mm. lovely. Okay, well, look, we feel really blessed that you're with us. I'd like to pray with you now, if I could. Polly, would you just come up and pray for a moment for Pam? Oh, Heavenly Father, we really thank you and praise you for Pam it, it fills the hearts with joy when somebody comes back to you um, Lord and we love her so much Father through all she's been through I just thank you that now she's a shining light for you I thank you for this church family I thank you for their faithful prayers for Pam over the years and the way they just loved her back into this fellowship Oh, Father God, I've, I pray now that you'll fill her with your Holy Spirit and that she will walk with you deeper and deeper, more and more, Lord, 
walking with you, that she will grow in her knowledge of you and her love of you. And that she will be able to minister to other people that have been through similar situations. Father God, we give you all the praise and all the glory for bringing her back. And we ask your blessing on her tonight. Thank you for her courage in giving her testimony. Oh, Father God, we just give you all the praise tonight. Thank you. Amen. Okay, just give her a round of applause as she goes back to herself. You know, it does take a bit of courage to come up and give your testimony, but uh, I just want to encourage you that if you feel able to do so, uh, we're carrying on with these services. We're going to do them roughly every third week. And uh, the next one is, just to make sure I say the right thing, is the 20th of March, um, where we'll be doing another two live ones and another filmed one. So just, you know, if you feel able that you, you would like to share, um, please do come and see me and we'll get you on the list and at some point we'll, uh, we'll get you up. If you, if you feel that you're more comfortable being interviewed than, than actually sort of standing up and talking, that's fine. If you want to be videoed, we can do that as well. But we really want to just, to be honest, we just want to share lots of people's stories from within the church because every person here is loved by the church. Every person has got a story to tell and we just want to share it, basically. So uh, just encourage you to get involved. Um, you've probably noticed that the screen's done a few funny things tonight. It keeps flickering blue and goodness knows what. So I'm just hoping that it's going to sort of stay working for what we need. And Mike, in a second, if you could play the, the, the video. Um, this one, I, I sort of said it's a bit off the wall. I don't know if you, you remember a rock star called Alice Cooper, uh, sort of, going back to the sort of 70s, 80s, that sort of period. And um, he was a bit of a kind of outrageous character, great big uh, makeup and great big long black hair and goodness knows what. And yet he was born uh, to a pastor's family and grew up in a Christian family. Um, I'm not going to ruin his story by, by kind of giving you too much to go on, um, but I thought this would be just a, a really different test me so here we go with a bit of luck a lot of people who recognize the name Alice Cooper have no idea that he's a Christian tell us how and when you came to the faith you know I'm the prodigal son for one thing I, I'm the perfect example of the prodigal son uh, my dad was a pastor. My grandfather was an evangelist. Actually, both my dad and my grandfather were evangelists. And uh, my wife's father is a Baptist pastor. So I grew up in the church, and I was... All of my friends were church kids. I had so much fun. I mean, I was in church on Sunday, Wednesday night, uh, Friday nights. I mean, it was... It, all my social life was based around kids in the church. And... Um, and that was great. And it got to high school, and all of a sudden, the Beatles came out. And I went, oh, well, that's kind of, you know. And I was a natural mimic anyways. So I watched the Beatles, and I said, well, that would be fun to do. Being in a hit band with hit records and is getting as big as we got is like winning the lottery about three times. It just doesn't happen. You know, we were definitely the underdogs in the whole thing. And. We kept going, well, we're never going to make it. This is fun, you know, to do this. And then we'll go get real jobs. 
And we kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, there we were. You know, and, and then on top of it, being creative, I looked around and I went, there's no villains in rock and roll. Why not, why not create rock's ultimate villain? You know, and still, without thinking, well, why would, how would that bother? That wouldn't affect my faith at all. You know, the Bible's full of villains. You know, I'll be this villain. And I, and I gave Alice his perimeter, you know, his areas where he wouldn't go past. And I still find songs that from the first albums that are totally got Christian, all kinds of Christian uh, uh, bywords going all the way through it, yeah. you know, because it's, it comes out of you what's in you. Yeah. Yeah. So songs like Second Coming and things like that were all pretty much always warning about Satan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that's really the core kind of message that's in the music, isn't it? It always has been. Yeah. And the weird thing was, even though my image was the most scary I terrified TBS, I think, yeah. because of, yeah, first of all, they never heard my songs, I guarantee you. They never actually listened to my songs, because almost everything I wrote was good and evil. Don't pick evil. Yeah. You know, even when I wasn't Christian, I was saying that, you know, uh, uh, God and the devil. Don't pick the devil. It's, it's a bad idea, you know. Um, but, you know, all they saw was the image. All they saw was, and that was okay. We've all heard of the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What is the Gospel according to Alice? If you were to summarize the message that so influenced your life, what would it be? If it says that Jonah swallowed, was swallowed by a, by a whale, then that means it. If it's, I don't believe this stuff where it's all, well, you know, it's just kind of, those are all parables, and they meant this. And, no. I say if it says it, it meant it. You know, and people will laugh at me and say... Well, you know, I mean, you can't really believe that. And I go, well, if I can believe that God created the world and created everything in it, why wouldn't I believe a simple thing like that? That's not a hard thing. You know, the very fact that he cared enough about me to save my life about 20 times, you know, and uh, help me survive a million different things to put me where I am now. And, and then the challenge I have now being a Christian in the rock business. You know, he kind of put me in the Philistines, in the camp of the Philistines, which is okay. What's that like? Well, you have to live your life every day. You have to, you have to live your faith, you know. I mean, I'm living in a world that's not my world. I know that. But I live in it, and I try to live my faith every day in it. If I can live, that's my testimony. I don't need to be going out. If, if somebody mentions, you know, my faith, I definitely talk about it. In interviews and things like that, I mean, I'm very open about it. I never, ever, I'm never uh, under a quilt about who I am. Uh, but I'm not going to be the one that said, now sit down, I'm going to tell you about this. About, you know, I'm not going to be the car salesman. It seems like you'd rather live out your life like everybody else than have to live up to someone else's standard of what a celebrity Christian should be like. If I walk outside and I make a mistake, all of a sudden my Christianity goes down the toilet. Well, what people don't realize, when you become a Christian, does not make it any easier. It makes it harder. It makes your life harder. It makes your soul at ease with God because you know where you're at with Him. It doesn't make your social life or your normal life in America any easier. In fact, it puts you under the microscope. Sometimes I think that, you know, TV evangelism is one of Satan's greatest weapons 
they put these guys on a pedestal and all of a sudden they get caught with a prostitute and all and every christian i know then is under the gun so I, you don't think that that's kind of set up yeah i'm telling you you know I, the devil is very smart he, he's not going to come out with the horns and the tail he's going to come in as the slickest car salesman you ever saw you know and i've seen some pretty slick pastors on tv now that's not to say that they're all like that i mean i love sproul i love stanley charles stanley there's a lot of guys there that I all sit and I listen to and I go, okay, yeah, right on, dead on the middle. You know, I got it. But every time I hear something that goes a little left of center, you know what? What was that? You know, too much healing on TV. I don't know about that. That's showbiz, I think. In 1995, you and your friend, Pastor Chuck Saval, started the Solid Rock Foundation, which has donated over a million dollars so far to worthy causes worldwide. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you made that decision and what Solid Rock is all about. I believe if you give kids a chance, they've got creative stuff going on in them all day. If, if they get home from school, a kid's got his books, he's 13, he's going home from school, his dad's a crack dealer, his mom is on the street somewhere, My brother and sister are both gangbangers, and this kid's going, I don't have much of a choice here, do I? Well, let's give them a choice. Let's give them a place to go where they can go learn guitar. They can learn bass. They can learn how to write lyrics. It can be vocational. They can play basketball. They can do any of that stuff under the guidance of Christian businessmen and Christian people that don't want anything from them. We're not, we're, we don't say, okay, now you have to learn these Bible verses. We're not asking anything. All we're there to do is to take care of them. And that's the, only, that's the best way to show who we are, you know. So give these kids a safe place to go. Give them some creative outlet and have counselors there. Right now, we're kind of looking for those Christian guys that have got a lot of money that want to put it somewhere. This is, you can't get any better than this. Controversial in places, sort of plays on a few things maybe that uh, maybe we do or don't want to talk about, but that guy knows God and God talked to him, God used him and despite all the things that we might have prejudged him looking at him if we didn't know, that guy's got God in his heart and that's something for us to think about maybe. Uh, maybe learn from but if nothing else certainly to think about so I just wanted to play you that one and I apologise for the quality of the, the film it's obviously been used a lot and we're suffering from some technical issues tonight but uh, the, the audio was nice and clear anyway if nothing else so, um, I wonder if, if Nige being the, uh, the youth leader ever actually dressed like that Nige <laughs> oh, he didn't have the hair for it. How about you, John? Did you? <laughs> no, he didn't have the hair either. No, no, quite outrageous, but um, but nevertheless, very interesting. A completely different type of testimony, if you like, but just fantastic to see what he's doing and how his vision now is to help the youth and you know bring that about. So um, there's some really interesting stuff actually about him um, online. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. Um, you know, not trying to kind of build him up as a 
perfect example or anything like that, but it's very interesting to read his take on some of some of the stuff that he's been through. So quite an interesting character and certainly uh, worth sharing his testimony for a few minutes. Okay, our third testimony tonight is uh, Sil. He's going to come and uh, tell us about his, his life. Uh, just give him a round of applause as he comes up. Um, Sil's uh, a larger-than-life character in more ways than one, aren't you, Sil? <laughs> and uh, one of the things, I don't know if everybody knows, but Sil sings in the choir. And uh, we, we've had a few very pleasant evenings, haven't we, Liz, going and listening to them. And uh, I think that's uh, a great thing to be doing and, and a great way to... I stand the back. I have an agreement with Roy that I can stand the back. I stay out of the way. And he just... He tells me the crescendo, and I hit all the high notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, good on you. You, uh, you do better than me anyway, because if I was there, certainly people would be able to hear me, but not for the right reasons. <laughs> anyway, uh, really, thank you for giving your testimony tonight, and um, you know, we'll, we'll ask a few questions at the end. Okay. Well, okay. I, um, I became a Christian in 1979. Um, one of the main things was the birth of my daughter, Amber. And she, a baby, she was born a babe, obviously, as everybody. But she was so special to me. She was the fact that it was a new life. And it made me start asking questions, really. And so I ended up going to Eldad Church. And surprisingly there, um, I... I was looking for the church and there was a parking space just outside the church. Now, if anybody knows Eldad Church, that's a very unusual thing. And um, so I went there and I was there for a good few years. And then in 1989, as I was leaving the church that Sunday evening, um, my Jackie, uh, she said, I've got a word for you from the Lord. I said, oh. I'd like to read the word she, she had, which, was, which is this. It was Isaiah 41, 10 to 13, inclusive. And it goes like this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying unto you, Fear not, I will help you. And at the time, I was doing quite well. I had um, my wife two children, a house nearly paid off, I had a business, and things were, were good. But by 1992, the, um, the locusts had taken it all. Whatever I did, it never seemed to work out. Whatever happened, everything seems to fall away. And I didn't stay at Eldad Church because there wasn't a pastor. I needed counselling, I needed some help. I went to see Peter Eyre at Shiloh. And 
I've been into um, Poland a couple of times on, on outreach, helping. But then there was a, a call from the Baptist Church in Cluj-Napoca, Romania. And they needed help because Romania at the time, um, Krychescu, the president, had been executed. And the Russians had basically bled Romania dry. And they was, they'd been told, they, the women had been told they had to have six children each and they couldn't afford to feed them. There was, the poverty there was awful. And um, so, me and a friend of mine were asked to go out and, and view the place and take notes and find out what was going on. And we arrived um, at Aradia, well, Boars first was the, was the customs post, then into, through Aradia. It was like an oppression all around. And so we started singing praises and it started to lift. And we travelled on towards Cluj-Napoca, up the hills and, and down towards uh, to the second biggest city in Romania. But it was an awful place in a lot of ways because it was so poor. Everything was run down. There was packs of wild dogs in the streets. Um, there were children living in sewers. There was, um, there was security police everywhere. And everybody was jumpy. Everybody was very, very unhappy. And so we took the details, and we were shown, we went to the Baptist church, and they took us around. They showed us some of the hospitals. They showed us some of the orphanages. And some of the things I saw, it, oh, it was so bad. If you imagine yourself, you go into hospital, and there's black mold going up the walls, and there's just children there with full of cancer from radiation from Chernobyl. It was coming through the water tables. And you go into the orphanages and there's just children left to die in, the, in their uh, cots. Other children just being herded around like, like sheep. You know. And it really hit hard. So we went back um, and we'd reported to, to Shiloh, to Peter A. And um, we... Uh, decided to go and see if we could help. So uh, in 1992, um, we went back again towards the end of the 1992. We took some more aid in and made our contacts. And um, I was asking in Guernsey for help, and the Guernsey people have been amazing, absolutely amazing. Since it's still going out now, but since we've started in 1992, there's over 100, 100 tonnes of of aid being given and gone out. Over 100 tonnes. It's a job to estimate it all. Um, but anyway, in, in the early days, we went out and we took um, as much as we could. We, were, we just handed people clothes. We put things on. Um, took, we took dried food. We took everything we could there. And um, then one day, um, I had a phone call from a friend who had um, a, uh, he was part of a commercial food company. And he had, um, he said, I've got some soup for you, he said. It's got to go, it's got to, it's got to be gone today. I've got to put it somewhere today. And he said, this soup, he says, it's nothing wrong with it. But he says, it's the, the mixtures are wrong. It's a lot thicker than what they say on the, for the mixing of it. So I said, okay. I said, so I asked my brother, I said, can I get some soup put up to your, um, up to your uh, sh uh, shed? He said, yeah, sure. So uh, 
I get a phone call about six o'clock. He says, so I can't get my car in the shed. It's absolutely full of, of, of soup. And there was, it was, it was um, McDougal's soup, and it was cubes of it, huge amount. So I thought, my word. Anyway, the Lord told me I had to take it out the next winter. So I put it in a transit van, and we went on. And um, I went off uh, to ask different people if they needed some, and some people wanted some. But there was such a, such a vast amount of it. And um, then I heard that there was um, a Scottish aid area, and the people there um, might be able to help, might, might, might be for them, you know. So I phoned them up. And they said, I said, I've got some soup. I said, what do you need? Would be able to use it? Would be able to use it? They said, can you bring it round? I said, straight away we'll come round. So we, we went round. And there was a man waiting there in a white um, ambulance, an English ambulance. And what he was used to do was go from collusion to poker. And he'd take, go around all the, um, uh, all the villages, all the way around the top of the area. And he'd go and he'd take things to them and he'd bring the people back to the hospitals. And he didn't want to go up because he had nothing to give them. The lorries couldn't get through that day because it was, all the, all the uh, hills were frozen and it was quite dangerous roads. And so I gave him a hand and we loaded this ambulance full to the gunnels with, with soup. And he went off and he said to me, he said, well, he said... Uh, the people of uh, the hill in the, in, the, in the hills, they'll be uh, fed up in McDougal's soup, but they'll be alive when I go back next time. So he said, so, uh, but that's, that saved the lives. And that, that time, it was the coldest winter that they'd had for a long time. It was minus 30 up there. And they had, um, well, they just had no food. They were so poor. And I... I just thank the Lord, and I just, for his provision, for those people, he knew that those people needed food and needed feeding, and he, he allowed that. And, um, but as we went through, I, next time I brought my daughter with me. There was two vans went out, and um, it was moonlit night, and we had to go and see um, a person in a flat who was going to give us keys to get into this house where we could stay. And um, three o'clock in the morning, goes and knocks on this door. I walked across this open ground and knocked on the door. And um, nobody answered. They might have thought it was the police. They didn't know who it was, but they wouldn't answer the door. Not that time of the night. And as I came back across the open ground, we were surrounded by dogs. There was a, a pack of starving dogs. And uh, I looked... And oh my word, these dogs um, were just sort of surrounding us. All I had in my, uh, in my pocket was a, a knife. And I thought, if I can stick it in one of them, it's coming at me, it'll smell blood and they'll go and maybe I'll get away. And I was like that with my knife. And all of a sudden, I, I fired up a few prayers, but all of a sudden, a big black dog came underneath my knife. And it sort of seems incredible, but he came underneath my knife and he walked with me and my friend to the car, to the van. We got in, we stayed there, and then he went off. And I think sometimes 
God does things in mysterious ways, and some you can never understand. But he, he did that. And my daughter was watching. It was a moonlit night. She was watching, and she saw it. So it sort of made her think. And um, we, we did a lot, of, a lot of trips out. I was running two passports because I spoke to my friend at customs. I said I need it because we had to hand, at that time, we had to get visas to go in and out of Romania, and we were going so often we had. But I wasn't looking after myself very well. I was living on Snickers and Mars Mars. There's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple here who uh, made sure that I, I did it well. And uh, I thank you for that. But uh, what the locusts had taken, I was, in, I was in debt and in problems. But I, I kept going because the Lord, I felt, was where he wanted me to be. And um, <clears throat> I was at Charlotte Church, and, the, and it was 1999. Uh, and um, our house group was taking the... Um, <laughs> Sorry, about that. our house group was taking the uh, service, and my job was to sing. And um, they all had different jobs to do. My job was to sing, and uh, uh, Jackie was in the congregation. She'd been told by the Lord that night to go. Anyway. I sang the song and then I asked her out. And from that time on, um, the Lord restored the time, the, <laughs> the Lord restored the things the locusts had taken. And we got married in the March next year. So thank you for that. There's a few few questions I've got for you, but yeah, just sure. just to say to you first, uh, Sil, um, you know you really do stand up as a, a good Christian man. Um, a lot of what you do, you do very quietly. Nobody knows, you know, and uh, we applaud you for that, really. So you know, take that, and we perfectly understand you getting upset telling your story. Um, going out to Romania must have been quite a quite a challenge I would imagine quite a you know were you well travelled before that or, or was that sort of first time out the island really I went into I went into uh, Poland uh, three times previously and had some amazing experiences there but um, it was a job which the Germans were going in quite a, quite a lot and they were doing the work there but um, when we heard about Romania nobody was doing it at the time and but the, it was just like a country that had been bled dry by the Russians. There was no food. There was nothing. The people had nothing. I mean, I, I saw, um, there's a woman I saw, it always stuck in my mind. She had a dead baby in her arms. It was freezing cold. And she was still carrying it around. And you think, it's, just, it's so awful, you know. And people were living on the streets and they were dying on the streets. And that's something you in our western world you could never imagine you know and um, people were starving you know absolutely starving um, and the temperatures I mean 
the beds that the people up in the mountains had, they were, um, if you can imagine, a cocoon, like a, and they used to go in, and they used to put more and more blankets around them as the temperatures dropped. You know? And that was... And one day, one day I had a very emotive thing. And it was, um, we were, it was the next year after the soup. And um, there was, we went up into the mountains where they dropped all this soup off. And um, from a distance, I saw these um, thatched houses, and they looked like a hamlet. And they looked, it looked, from a distance, it looked amazing. It looked like a sort of something from the 1600s, but it looked sort of idyllic in some ways. Until you got close, and then you saw the children, and they had their feet jammed in the shoes that were far too small for them, and they were walking on the back of the shoes, and people were in rags, and we had a van full of stuff. And um, so we started handing it out. And we went into the village and we were helping people. And um, we got talking. And then through our interpreter, one of the women said to us, um, I've been praying for shoes for my children. I'd never, th- uh, to Jesus for my children, I never thought he'd send them. You know? And that sort of hits you like deep, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good. My next question to you was whether the sort of people had, you know, expressed their their thoughts about Jesus coming to help them or not. Um, clearly, they had. Well, they only ever, they only, we only ever took the stuff into the churches, to the elders of the churches, and we took them to the people that um, basically could spread the gospel. The churches filled. I mean. Jackie would, would tell you, we went to one, it was a, a, um, a gypsy church, and people were um, in the church being baptized in the dirty water. They'd come up smiling, and they were singing, we, we used to be beggars and thieves, now we're sons of God. You know? Amazing. Um, the story of the dogs. Um, I think you said... Um, God works in mysterious ways. Um, I think we can all sort of understand that that picture, if you like. Um, that black dog effectively came and protected you. And uh, we don't always recognise God, do we? Um, but in this case, the black dog was, if you like, God protecting you, it seems to me. <coughs> I mean, I all I know is that a dog will not come under a knife. If you have a knife, a dog won't come underneath it. But this dog came underneath it and lifted my hand. And it protected us. And we were able to get in the van. And the dogs left and we were, you know, a few hours later, when the light came, we were able to go in, get the key and, and go in. But, um, yeah. I'd just like to say to you that, that I just couldn't help thinking when you were telling that story that God knew he had a lot more for you to do at that point, and your life since then has certainly blessed a lot of other people. We all know the work you've done with some of the kids in, in the church here and your presence here. Um, so we thank God for that, and we thank God for you. So I'd like to ask Richard, um, put him on the spot, would you come up and pray for Syl with us? just like to pray with you, Syl.
Father God, we just uh, praise your name um, for Sil. We just thank you that he's part of this church. And thank you for his wonderful stories. You've had your hand in his life, Father, through the hard times and, and through the good times, Father. And just praise your name. Uh, one thing about Sil is I love hearing his voice. When, when we're praising worship, I can hear his voice booming out above everybody else's and, and that just lifts my heart and lifts my spirit father god we just thank you for this man thank you that he's, he's a, a strong man for you father and uh he, i know sometimes we don't feel strong in our hearts and in our lives but father you give us the strength you give us the power um you give us your holy spirit to build us up and uh to help us through each day father god we just praise your name for self right now amen thanks so So we've had um, we've had three testimonies tonight. Um, they're very different, very different stories, but stories of how God has really touched their lives. And through what God's done in their life, they carry on touching other people. And that's what our testimony is about, isn't it? Our testimony is about how we've got something to say, if you like. Um, and I just struck me that uh, the saying that came to my mind as we were doing this tonight was actions speak louder than words you know it's not always about words is it it's very often about actions uh, our testimony is as much about our actions as it is about our words so um i just you know really think that tonight's been been a great blessing again um really good to hear different stories but we've all got different stories we've all got things to say and I would just really encourage you to get involved in this process. Come and give your testimony because I'm as excited about the testimonies we haven't heard as I am about the ones we have heard as good as they've been. Um, I promised that I wasn't going to preach or anything like that at these, these services. So, uh, And we haven't got a, another song to sing tonight. So I'd just like to uh, close in prayer and just wish you well for the week really um so lord we just thank you we thank you that you've done amazing things lord we've heard tonight how you've done amazing things in pam's life how lord when the darkness came you were there at her side lord and others were there too lord just just praying for her and trusting lord that your grace would be sufficient for her Lord, we thank you for her testimony tonight and her brave, braveness to come up and give that testimony, Lord. Lord, we thank you for Alice, Lord. Strange as it may seem, that man has, has done great things, Lord. He's, he's raised issues. He takes the opportunity to talk of you, Lord, whenever he's interviewed. All these years later, he still talks of you. And Lord, we thank you for him. We thank you for the work he's doing with the youth. We thank you for the, 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 the fact that he's prepared to stand up and be counted for you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for Syl tonight, Lord. He's, he's given his testimony. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in his life, Lord. And we thank you for what you've done in protecting him, Lord. And Lord, we just feel so blessed to have him in the church here, Lord, and for the work that he does. Most of all, Lord, we give you the glory tonight. We give you the glory for all of these things, Lord. For everything that we can do, Lord, is through your grace, Lord. 
nothing else. Your grace allows us, Lord, to, to work in your power. Lord, we seek you. We seek your path for each of our lives, Lord. We seek your vision for each of our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray that every person here will have a personal relationship with you, Lord, that you lead them. Lord, I pray every person here will love you with every part of their heart, Lord, every being, Lord, that they will feel you every day and love you. Lord, I pray that you might be uplifted, Lord, that you might be given the glory and the honour. Lord, please, as people go today, Lord, let them receive your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. Um, We'd love to see you at the next one, which is, as I said, 20th of, of March. We'll have three completely different testimonies, but God will speak, as always. Bless you. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.